أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Dear brothers and sisters and welcome to the A Lesson Per Page Quran program We went all the way till page number 46 of the Holy Quran and inshallah today we want to begin with uh, page number 47 because Allah said so. So, as has been discussed before in the story of the angels bowing down to Adam and how Iblis questioned God while the angels asked God questions or a question, uh, you, you find this recurring throughout the Quran again and again, whether it's the Bani Israel, whether it's the people of the Prophet's time, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, whether it's during the time of the angels and Iblis and all of that, you find this recurring theme uh, in the Qur'an of not questioning. Asking questions is fine, but questioning is not okay. And so here we have another instance and case of people maybe bringing something up and Allah not feeling like He needs to explain Himself to people. Um, and just saying that you know it's it's because I said so. I mean that's the test, right? Isn't it? Although once again the case that we're going to talk about, which is interest and usury in the Quran, um, it doesn't take uh, too much work to figure out why usury is detrimental to an economy, to a people and a community. But all in all, here Allah, when people are asking Him why this is the case. But they're not asking him why that's the case. They are doing their own uh, intellectual endeavor here and trying to lose, use their own logic. Allah says, because I said so. I This is also one of my favorite verses, at least the part in it that we'll get to that I want to uh, share with you. So let's uh, recite the verse and then get to the points that we have there. A'udhu billahi minash shaytan rajim This is verse 275. Of Surah Baqarah. Alladina yakuluna riba la yakumuna illa kama yakumu levi yatahabatu hush shaytanu minal mess. Dalika bi anna hum kalu inna mal bayu mithlu riba. Wa ahalla lahul baya wa harama riba. Faman jahu mawadatum mirabihi fantaha falahu ma salafa wa amruhu illallah. وَمَنْ عَادَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ Those who take usury will not stand but like one deranged by the devil's touch. Let me explain this. Um, it's, it might be an expression here that the, the Qur'an is using. Assume a person that has been possessed by a devil, by a jinn, by a shaytan. Okay, deranged by the devil's touch, meaning the devil touched them, and how are they going to be? They, they won't be able to stand properly. They won't be able to think properly. In other words, it seems that the Quran is saying here that, like, what is wrong with you? Like, how off can you be? How deranged? How delusional? How uh, just outright uh, dumb can you be to be a proponent of usury and interest, the, the haram versions of it? Okay. 
So why is the verse saying this? That is because they say trade is just like usury. So this is the part that we want to talk about. They say trade is just like usury. What's the difference? I'll explain that later. While Allah has allowed trade and forbidden usury. That's all he says here in the verse. He doesn't explain himself. He says, I made one haram and one halal. Very simple. Whoever on receiving advice from his Lord relinquishes usury shall keep the gains of what is past and his matter shall rest with Allah. As for those who resume, they shall be the inmates of the fire and they shall remain in it forever. So this uh, second part of the verse is just telling the people what they're supposed to do now. And we have other verses too that speak of this, that look, if you have been doing such a thing, all right, take back the amount that you gave in capital, but you know, the rest, it doesn't belong to you. Things like that we have. And so here also the verse is saying, look, whoever continues to do this and whoever is to resume, they shall be the inmates of the fire. This usury, this interest in Islam is a very, a very big deal. Um, right here on the same page, yeah, actually, if you go down on verse 279, it gets really scary. I mean really scary. Because it says, فَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلُوا فَأْذَنُوا بِحَرْبٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Get ready for a war. If you don't stop this usury and practicing this uh, wrong deed and act, then you can be ready for a war with Allah and His Prophet a war with Allah? Like who wants to ever do that? Alright, so this is a very, very serious matter. Okay? And we find that throughout the world in secular societies and in many societies, their economy lots of times, one of the main pillars of it is this matter of interest and usury. So let me explain this a little bit, break it down uh, for the brothers and sisters. Look, there are two types of riba. The one that we've grown accustomed to hearing about in this day and age is one form of it. But there's another form of it that was more prevalent during the time of the Prophet Alright, so let me explain these two very quickly. Although we don't want to get too much into fiqh and details of rulings of uh, legal rulings of Islam, but I have no choice just so that the brothers and sisters can understand what this verse is talking about. Um, there are two types of riba. One is called mu'amali. Uh, the other one is al-qardi. Okay, one has to do with trade, one has to do with lending and loans. Okay, and so in both cases, the riba is totally haram. Um, it says, um, or the fuqaha will say, that the riba qardi is that riba, that interest that one gains through a loan that they give. Meaning what? Meaning that someone asks you for a thousand dollars, let's say, and then you say, okay. I'm going to give you a thousand dollars and you're going to owe me back a thousand plus something. Now that something can be anything. It can be money, it can be assets, it can be commodity, it can be a service even. Anything, if you're going to add to what someone's going to give back to you is going to be a problem. Okay, So if I say, I'll give you a thousand, you give me a thousand one hundred back, that's a problem. If I say, I'll give you a thousand, you give me a thousand back plus I don't know, this uh, this pencil, this pen, this phone, this lamp, this whatever. That's going to be a problem. If I say, I'll give you a thousand, you give me a thousand back, plus I need you to do the dishes for me for, the, for, for a week. That's also haram. Any 
uh, surplus uh, to the uh, initial amount to the capital that you've given is not allowed for you to take back. Okay. Now there are some little exceptions here. Maybe some recently I've heard uh, jurists and fuqaha maraja might believe that you can take inflation into consideration when it comes to these matters. But all in all, I think the idea is clear. And this is what we are used to um, hearing of these days. When, when we hear the word interest, it has to do with al-qardi, the interest that has to do with qard and loans and mortgages and all that kind of stuff. All right. And please uh, make sure you listen to the end of this lesson on this page uh, 47 because I, I will explain there are some exceptions to interest being haram okay so that is there as well uh, so i'll explain that towards the end but let's go on now the second type of uh, riba is the one that is referred to as muamali the one that has to do with a transaction or trade and what is that in a nutshell there are details here too but in a nutshell i'll give you just a couple examples things that are weighable things that are measured through um uh, either you know uh, with, a, with, with a certain container things like that um, these, if you're going to trade the same good, doesn't matter the quality, what the quality is like. One might be high quality, one might be low quality. But if you're trading material, that things that are weighable, or things that are that you can that you use uh, certain containers to measure them, if you're going to trade the same good with someone else, you can't you can't trade more for less or less for more. I'll give you an example so it becomes clearer. So, for example, I can't trade two pounds of rice for one pound of rice. In Islam, this is a riba. Someone might say, but the two pounds of rice is lower quality than the one pound of rice that's higher quality. Doesn't matter. Islamically, you're not allowed to because they're the same good. Okay? Even if the two pounds of rice, the value is $10, and that one pound of rice is also the value of it is $10. Even if the values are the same, you're not allowed to trade one for the other because one is more than the other one. One weighs more than the other. And they are the same good. Yeah, you can trade two pounds of rice for one for three pounds of wheat, for example, because wheat is not the same thing as rice. But rice for rice, gold for gold, these kinds of things, it'll be problematic. All right? And so... This is what you would find happening more during the Prophet's time, according to some of our uh, scholars. Now the taker and the giver both, they're agreeing on this, right? So they're both going to be in trouble. The, the sin is on both of them because they this transaction involves both of them. But I have to say this now, brothers and sisters, regarding both the, uh, the loan interests and the trade interests, both al-riba al-mu'amali, and al-riba al-qardi, both of them, there will be exceptions to this rule of it being haram. There are some cases that I don't have time to get into that it will be halal, but usually it will be haram. Lots of times it will be haram. Being involved in such a transaction, facilitating such a transaction, these will be haram as well. We have to be careful about that. All right. And so um, some might ask, oh, but our mortgages are like that. As I said, there are exceptions here, and each person can contact their own maraja in this regard to see how, the, if there is a halal way of doing it, which usually I've noticed they do have a halal way of doing it. So that's that. One more thing I want to add here before I move on to the actual lesson we want to take from this whole thing is that, look, 
um, not anything that's called or referred to and termed as interest is going to be haram too. All right. There are some cases where, in a, in a, in a in a secular culture, in a Western culture, wherever, something will be referred to as interest, but Islamically is not even considered interest to begin with. Okay, so two things here we have. You know, we have the main rule of interest being haram. Sometimes there is something that is actually Islamically interest, but an exception is made and it's halal. Sometimes something is referred to in a non-Islamic culture as interest, but it's not really is in interest even to begin with Islamically. So for example, if someone wants to sell me something um, and they tell me, look, if you want to buy this phone, I'll sell it to you for a thousand dollars cash. But if you're going to buy it in installments, then you're going to have to pay me um, $110 a month, right? For 10 months. Well, that's going to total to $1,100. Yeah. And then they'll say the hundred is interest. This might be referred to as interest in a non-Islamic culture, but in, in Islamic, from an Islamic standpoint, right? We have a rule in, in Arabic. If I want to share it with you, it's thaman, They'll say that the time period that's added can add to the amount that this person has to pay in the end. So they might call it interest, APR, that kind of stuff, but it's not going to be the. It's not really interest Islamically. You are paying for that that object, that good. And at the same time, you're also paying for the time that you're, you're, uh, you're, that you're asking for. Um, but there are details I don't want to get into. Um, but all in all, I just wanted you to get an idea of what's going on here. Now, let's talk about the lesson that we take from this. The lesson we take from this is that, look, the people of that time, what were they saying? They're saying that, look, um, this is just like when I trade two pounds of rice for one pound of rice, me and the person that are involved in the transaction, that's involved in this transaction, we are agreeing on this, just like how we agree on me selling a p two pounds of rice to him for $10. What's the difference? What gives? Allah says in this verse, and I love it. I love the answer Allah gives. Allah says, You know what the difference is? One is haram, one is halal. That's what it is. In other words, in this case, I'm not even going to get into details of why I made one haram, why I, why I didn't. Of course there's a reason, but do you have to know every single reason? No, there's a difference. And you can tell there's a difference because one is halal, one is haram. If you all remember, we had a lesson before, I forget the page number, that haram equals harm. Right? There is something wrong with it. And uh, you know the same letters are even used. Uh, I was, I'm so proud of myself for that. Haram equals harm. There is harm in haram. Same letters we have in both of them. Just the vowels are a little different. So um, here, this is a good case for that. This is a good example for that. That look, if God is making one halal, one haram, that's, that should be enough for you. You know one is problematic and one is not problematic. So this idea of, oh, they're the same, this is similar. We do this. I hear brothers and sisters sometimes use this argument in a lot of matters. And it's problematic when it comes to Islamic law. For example, I'll give you an example. This kid is, you know, is grows up in um, a kid grows up is Balik now, 15, 20 years old he is. His aunt, who is in reality um, his dad, his uh, his, uh, for example, mom's brother's wife, 
Okay, aunt in that sense of the term, not not a blood relative. Okay, his aunt meaning his mom has a brother. All right, this twenty-year-old, his mom has a brother, whose brother is married to uh, a lady. That lady has no blood ties with this twenty-year-old boy now. Right, he's baligh now. So what happens is, she will still feel that he went. He's, although he's Baliq, she'll still feel like, oh, he's, my, he's like my son. I raised him. I changed his diapers. Right? What's the difference here? I'm 50 years old. I'm 55 years old. Of course, I don't have any bad intentions. I've raised him like, a, like my own, like a real aunt, uh, and so on. And so he's like a mahram to me. Why do I have to wear, it? like, for example, I don't know, hijab in front of him, or why can't I make a, a physical contact with him, you know, uh, stroke his head, you know, that kind of thing. All right, well, the, in Islamic law, there are some rules that have conditions. And if those conditions are met, you can, like, it's up to you and the discretion is on you to be able to see if those conditions are met or not. But there are some rules in Islam that are black and white, that are kind of set in stone, let's say, right? Mahram, non-mahram issues, there is no, oh, if you have a bad intention or not condition in them. There is no, oh, you were changing his diaper before he was baligh. So now that he's baligh, you can still act like you're like that's how he was for you or how he is for you. We don't have such conditions in when it comes to mahram non mahram issues. This is a matter that a lot of people bring up and bring to us as um, as sheikhs or whatever. They're like, oh, you know, this aunt, she's not she's not my bl a blood relative aunt. She's my uncle's wife. That's what she is. And so, but she's been there from day one with us as kids growing up. Is she mahram to me? The answer is there are no conditions there it's black and white and so this argument doesn't hold this is like I'm just like a real aunt I'm just like your mother's sister to you just like isn't gonna cut it the same way here they said trade I mean what's the difference we're we're trading something with each other it's just like I'm buying it with cash from him what's the difference no 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 one is haram one is halal brothers sisters this is this is how Islamic law works lots of times. If you really want that two pounds of rice with your one pound of rice, go sell your one pound of rice in the market, get the money for it, then come and buy the two pounds from him or her with the, with the cash that you have now. That's how uh, sometimes things work when it comes to Islamic laws. And we have to be very, very careful not to sound like those that the, that, uh, the Quran scolds when it comes to these matters. Inshallah. All right, page number 48. The longest verse in the Quran documentation. All right, let me see if I, I can go through this as fast as I can. The one thing that really stands out about this verse is that, okay, you have the longest verse in the Quran, right? So you would expect that this longest verse in the Quran has to do with Allah, probably, or Tawheed, or spirituality, and or like, uh, putting aside the dunya, or it probably has nothing to do with dunya, right? Because when you, that's the longest verse, that means it's like maybe one of the most important verses. And so one of the main themes of the Qur'an has to be addressed. But no, as a matter of fact, this longest verse in the Qur'an has to do with documentation of when it comes to certain transactions and debts, all right? Which shows how well-rounded our faith is when it comes to these matters, that Islam has addressed these issues as well. All right, so let's uh, let's go through this longest verse of the Holy Quran, and then uh, talk about it a little bit more. And this is uh, let me see here. This is two eight verse two eighty two of Surah Baqarah. 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا إذا تداينتم بدين إلى أجل مسمى فاكتبوه وليكتب بينكم كاتب بالعدل ولا يأب كاتب أن يكتب كما علمه الله فليكتب وليملل الذي عليه الحق وليتق الله ربه ولا يبخس منه شيئا فإن كان الذي عليه الحق سفيها أو ضعيفا أو لا يستطيع أن يمله فليملل وليه بالعدل واستشهدوا شهيدين من رجالكم فإن لم يكونا رجلين فرجل وامرأتان ممن ترضون من الشهداء أن تضل إحداهما فتذكر إحداهما الأخرى ولا يأبى الشهداء إذا ما دعوا ولا تسأموا أن تكتبوه صغيرا أو كبيرا إلى أجله ذلكم أقسط عند الله وأقوم للشهادة وأدنى ألا ترتابوا إلا أن تكون تجارة حاضرة تديرونها بينكم فليس عليكم جناح ألا تكتبوها وأشهدوا إذا تبايعتم ولا يضار كاتب ولا شهيد وإن تفعلوا فإنه فسوق بكم واتقوا الله ويعلمكم الله والله بكل شيء عليم Okay, that was uh, pretty long. <laughs> oh, you who have faith. Okay, so it's talking about, let me explain a little bit here. It's talking about um, when you are um, when you are making a, or doing a transaction with someone and they're going to be paying you later. Okay, something like that. A debt is involved here. Someone is incurring a debt and they have to pay back later. So if you're co contracting that, and you want to make record of it this is what you, this is how serious the matter is allah is making a big deal of people uh, documenting this matter so it says oh you who have faith when you contract a debt or when you contract a debt for a specific for a specified term write it down let a scribe write between you with honesty and let not the writer refuse to write as Allah has taught him. So there are some people who know how to make records of things, how to document things. Go to them. Now in this day and age, it might be a little different. Yes, in this day and age, in this day and age, uh, people might uh, people uh, might not have to go through all this trouble. But back then, they had to do this. Nowadays, you have notaries. Nowadays, there are legal documents uh, that you know are binding, and and so people do things through that. At the end of the day. Documentation, documentation. And so back then, the scribe is not supposed to say, no, I'm not going to do it. No, Allah is saying in this verse, you have to do it, right? Now, whether the jurists say that's wajib or like very recommended is a different story. I don't want to get into that right now. But all in all, it's saying, that it's very strongly urging them. All right, so, so let him write and let the one who incurs the debt dictate. So he's telling him to write down what he owes. And let him be wary of Allah, his Lord, and not diminish anything from it. No, say the truth. Make sure you, you get it all down properly. You get it all documented properly. Don't leave anything out on purpose. But if the debtor be feeble-minded or weak or incapable of dictating himself, then let his guardian dictate with honesty. All right, so some people just don't have what it takes to dictate. They'll have to have their guardian do it instead. And that guardian has to do it with honesty. And take as witness two witnesses from your men. And if there are not two men, then a man and two women from those who you, who you approve as witnesses. 
so that if one of the two defaults and forgets maybe, the other will remind her. Alright, so witnesses have to be involved as well. Allah wants to get in the way of a lot of problems, brothers and sisters. A lot of problems arise because of not documenting things properly. Now these witnesses, when they're called and summoned to bear witness if need be, the witnesses must not refuse when they are called and do not consider it wearisome to write it down. Whether it be big or small, a, a big or, or a small sum, all right. So, okay. Oh, this is less than ten thousand dollars for me. This is peanuts. I don't care. No, 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 no. Even if it's a thousand bucks, even if it's fifty bucks, write it down. Um, or a small sum as being lent until its term. That is more just with Allah and more upright in respect to testimony, and the likeliest way to avoid doubt. You know, all these problems come up because of the doubts that arise. One person says, "Oh, you paid me back this much. You owed me this much, that much," and then the fights start. The only exception that's made in this verse is this. Unless it is, it is an on-the-spot deal you transact between yourselves. He gives you the 20 bucks, you give him uh, the 10 bags of potato chips. All right, couldn't think of a better example, I'm sorry. All right. If it's a deal that you make right there, a transaction takes place, you get your money, you give the goods, then you're good. But if, you're gonna, if there's a debt involved, all right, so that has to be written down. Take witnesses when you make a deal. So it's repeating again. And let no harm be done to writer or witness. These people, they're going out of their way to bear witness for you, to be the witnesses for this uh, uh, transaction. The scribe, the one who's writing, he's going out of his way to write. So like, don't give them trouble. And if you did that, it would be sinful of you. Be wary of Allah and Allah shall teach you. And Allah has knowledge of all things. Okay, so this, brothers and sisters, the longest verse of the Holy Qur'an. <laughs> but did it have to do with spirituality? Did it have to do with God and all that kind of stuff? Nope. It had to do with um, keeping, the, keeping the tranquility and organization of the community, of the people in their affairs, the society. And that's what it was, keeping things uh, orderly. And so as I said, today it doesn't necessarily mean that a person has to go and do it this traditional way that they did it 1400 years ago, although that is also a possibility. But what is meant here is that make sure you get a proper legal, legal official document of it in which you have all the conditions written down so that both of you, you don't have a fight over this later. And so our Mufassirin have pointed out that there's like 20 points in this verse of what you have to do. Um, when it comes to documentation. That's beautiful in my opinion. I find it very inspirational that our religion is this well-rounded. And finally, I'm, I'm just going to, before we end with this, uh, with this lesson, is that, um, and move on to the next page, what I want to say is that we have a saying in Farsi actually, that the battle, the initial battle, is better than that war that it happens at the end. Right? Sometimes it's very hard to... Um, actually discuss and bargain and, 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 and come to an agreement eventually with someone that you are involved in a transaction with, right? It's like a battle that you have to fight with them. It's sometimes bitter. Sometimes it's a person that you know. Sometimes, yeah, you feel like, you know, this is going to affect my friendship with this person a little bit. It's like my best friend, but we're, we're, we're striking a deal for something. He's like, look, if you're going to sell your car, let me just buy it because I think it's a good deal. I need a car. I trust you and all of that. All right, but let's not depend on 
the honor system, as they say, all the time. If you're going to give me that, let me just let you know that this is what we're agreeing on. This is the car that I'm giving you. These are the flaws in it, maybe. These are, um, or at least these are, uh, I'm making the disclaimer that you can't come back to me later with any flaws that you find in it. This is, I'm selling it to you as is. If you trust me, so far I can't think of any problem that this car has. And this is how much you owe me. This is how much installments, whatever, this and that. All of these matters. You might feel a little bad. It might be a little bitter to tell your friend this stuff. Like your friend's like, look, we're good, bro. Like, don't worry about it. You don't, what are you so worried about? Why are you trying to get all these details down? No, 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 no. This little battle and bargaining that happens in the beginning is better than the war that might happen in the end in which your relationship, your friendship, whatever it is, is slain altogether. All right, so I find that verse, I find it very, a very important verse in understanding how well-rounded our faith is. Let's go on to page number 49. O oh Allah, go easy on us. So this is uh, the last verse of Surah Baqarah um, on page 49. And it is a dua. It is a dua now either of the Prophet and the people or just the people. That the Quran is telling the people to do this dua. And it seems that this dua is a dua that's accepted. Um, and Allah has fulfilled either out of respect for the Holy Prophet and his people, or just all in all, because this religion is to stay and remain for the, for the end of, till the end of times. Whatever the reason is, it seems that Allah has accepted this dua. So let's go through the verse and then discuss some points therein. <clears throat> it says, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها لها ما كسبت وعليها ما اكتسبت ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إسرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين Allah does not task any soul beyond its capacity Whatever good it earns is to its benefit, and whatever evil it incurs is to its harm. So it's all on us, brothers and sisters. So this is where the dua starts now. Our Lord, take us not to task if we forget or make mistakes. Our Lord, place not upon us a burden as you placed on those who were before us. Our Lord, lay not upon us what we have no strength to bear. Excuse us and forgive us and be merciful to us. You are our master, so help us against the faithless lot. So this is the last verse of Surah Baqarah, verse number 286. All right, so as this long surah is ending, it ends on this note. After all of the stories of Banu Israel, and unfortunately like we couldn't do all of the stories of Banu Israel, in this surah, because but they are very beautiful. Some of them, some of the details they go into are mind blowing. But you know, as I said, you know, as I've said before, this program is going to focus only on one lesson per page, and so sometimes a page has more than one lesson. Uh, I personally feel that uh, a whole different course can be made on just the different stories of Banu Israel and what we take from them of lessons. 
Um, so if we get enough requests for that, maybe that's something we can look into as well. Um, anyway, going back to this verse here. What's happening here is that um, it, the, the verse begins with a general statement that is, is accepted by the aql, the intellect, by Allah, by everyone and every person out there. It's totally understandable that Allah will not burden a soul more than its capacity. Okay, that's just not possible. Initially, all right, Allah is not going to put any type of that type of burden on anybody. Right? If you have a hundred dollars for Allah to tell you to spend a thousand dollars on something, that's just not going to happen. Okay, if you don't have wings to fly for Allah to tell you, all right, you have to fly. That's not going to happen. Right? So Allah will give, I mean those are very extreme examples maybe. There might be more milder milder examples as well, but you, you get the idea right now. This is the rule in other words. The rule is Allah will not burden more than and task any soul beyond its capacity. Okay, so that's the rule. Are there exceptions to this? Let's, let's see, let's see. So the verse goes on, if that's the rule, then what is this dua all about? If Allah is not going to burden us more than what we can handle, then what what are these? What's the verse or what's this dua in this verse actually asking for? So let's break the verse down and then talk about this idea that you know I'm putting out there right now. Let's break it down first though. Let's look at the different segments of the dua. Rabbana, la tu'akhibna in nasina. Don't hold us responsible if we forget. So for example, um there's a cup of water that I know had become najis. But I forget and I drink that water. Don't hold me responsible, O oh Allah, if I forget. So someone might ask, but wait a minute, can Allah hold us responsible when we forget? When we forget something, it's not in our hands anymore. It's not something that's intentional anymore. Right? So what's happening here? What kind of dua is this for something that Allah shouldn't even be holding us responsible for in the first place? So you see, these questions are coming up now. <laughs> Another one, if we make a mistake, let's not forget about forgetting that the cup of water was najis. I didn't even know that it was najis to begin with. Forget about forgetting. Right? I mistakenly drank that cup of water that was najis because I never even knew. I mistakenly, God forbid, God forbid, this is not, I mean, it's a horrible example, but I was, uh, I was in, uh, sleeping with my baby next to me and I accidentally rolled over and my bed uh, on my baby, and the baby, you know, suffered from from that, or died even from that. Well, am I going to be held responsible now on the day of judgment for something that mis I mistakenly did? Right? I threw a rock at something; it accidentally hit someone's car, or hit someone in the head, and caused some major damage there. Am I held responsible for this? Of course, blood money, things like that, or you know, replacing that the the window of the car, things like that. Of course, those will come along. But th was this a sin? that I will be held responsible for on the Day of Judgment that Allah can punish me for because I, I touched other people's property or I destroyed other people's property or I hurt somebody. No, no, no. So what kind of dua is this? Alright. رَبَّنَا وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِسْرًا So up there in the beginning of the verse it said, don't give us more than our capacity. Allah never gives. Allah was telling us, Allah will never give you more than what you can handle. But then here it says, Oh Allah, don't put a burden on us. A heavy burden, the same way you put it on those before us. Or even worse, don't. 
Lay not upon us what we have no strength to bear. Okay? So sometimes something is hard. Sometimes something is impossible. Kind of like impossible. It's so hard to bear. I'll give you examples of these. All right? When I say impossible here, of course, I don't mean philosophically impossible. I mean it's really, really hard to do. So this is the dua that's happening. And then, oh Allah, you know, forgive us, excuse us, and all of that. That's what the dua is ending with. So we are wrapping up this whole surah of 286 verses with this dua. But the question is, are these things that we need to ask for even? Because God Himself, right in the beginning, off the bat, He said, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha. Allah is not going to give more than you can take, more than your capacity. So then all of these are things that are beyond my capacity and control and strength. Why do I have to even do dua for them? The answer is because all of these stories of Bani Israel taught us that Allah went easy for, and made things easy for them in the beginning. But because of their own doings, they brought upon themselves the wrath of Allah. And as a punishment, Allah put certain burdens on them that he had not initially put. Alright? So, for example, لا تحمل علينا إسران And that's why with our Holy Prophet it says that we sent you or sent him to go لِيَدَعَ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ He went to remove the burden eventually off of these people who had this burden on them of certain takalif and duties Allah had put on them as punishments, it seems. Right? So there you have the same word, israhum. Here you have isran, same thing. So if we're asking Allah, we're not saying, Oh Allah, there's a chance that you will always give us what we bear, what we cannot bear initially. No. We're saying, if even if we reach a point where we have disobeyed you, O oh Allah, please don't do that to us that you did to Bani Israel before us and the people, Ahlul Kitab, before us. That is what we're asking Allah for. So for example, when it says, لا تحمل علينا إسران, a burden, don't put a burden on us. Something that's possible we can do, but it's just hard. So for example, they'll say that the Bani Israel, certain meat was, had been made haram on them, or certain parts of the animals, um, uh, the body of animals, which was good, pure meat, or pure whatever it was you could have, uh, maybe the fat uh, that, it, that, that it had on it, something, uh, my, my memory is not helping me here. The shuhumuha, I think, uh, shuhum means the fat in it, sometimes they had to get rid of, which was healthy, I mean, which is good for them. It's not, it was pure, it's not like it's, uh, it's impure, right? But Allah made it haram on them, and certain tayyibat, He made haram on them, certain pure things as a punishment. Think about it, brothers and sisters. If, if for the month of Ramadan, for example, they tell us uh, you have to fast and also during iftar time you can't have any forms of meat. That What are we left with? We're left with some veggies and some maybe uh, legumes and peanuts and nuts and stuff and then some, I don't know, uh, what's it called? Some bread maybe and that, that's about it. That's not going to be wholesome and filling, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is it possible? It's possible but it's like hard. It's hard. Who wants to have eggs every day of Ramadan, of the month of Ramadan? Right? I don't know. Unless there's 30 different ways to make them. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this, that it's not an impossible thing, but it's an isr. It's something that's it's heavy. It's a burden. 
O oh Allah, you punished those before us with a burden, with burdensome things. Don't do that to us, O oh Allah. Even if we're disobedient sometimes. Or for example, if you remember on pages 10 and 11, we had a lesson there. The cow of Bani Israel. With them, what did they do? They kept asking for more and more and more details to get, try to get out of it. Uh, from uh, our understanding, they were trying to get out of it. It reached the point where the burden, the heaviest burden was on them. Not just any cow that they could slaughter, that they, they could slaughter but now there was like only one cow like it in the world that they could find to slaughter. And it was much harder. It was a heavy burden on them. Why? Because of their own doing, of course. It was a punishment on them. Allah didn't initially give them such a hard task, but they made it hard on themselves, right? Because of their disobedience. So here we're asking, Oh Allah, don't do this to us. Don't let this happen to us. So that's Isran. But there's another one, Not something heavy, but something we just can't bear at all. Like it's, it's almost impossible for us. There's a difference, brothers and sisters. Something that's heavy, something that's almost impossible. All right? So an example for that would be what we covered on page 8 of uh, in this program, right? Surah Baqarah verse 54, where Banu Israel, because of their idol worship and gold, the golden calf they worshipped, their repentance was what? Was faqtulu anfusakum. So go slay each other. Remember that lesson? That one was the scary one. This I would say kind of qualifies for we don't have what it takes for this but they had to because as we said before this was a cancerous tumor that had to be removed this shirk Allah wanted to make sure it's not repeated but whose fault is it again? it's their fault so the Muslims here are saying and maybe the Prophet is also doing dua with them that oh Allah don't let this happen to us we have two things left though brothers and sisters forgetfulness and, mis and being mistaken error what about that? Why can Allah hold me responsible for that? It just was not in my control. True. But Allah can do something and make, can make something wajib on us so that we can avoid making mistakes at least or forgetting things. For example, <clears throat> He can make it wajib for you if you miss a miss salat, for example. He can make it wajib on you to record this in 20 different places so that you never forget the number of salats that you missed. So let's say a person throughout their life misses, I don't know, a hundred salats, a thousand salats. They have to record all of it in ten different places. Why? Like Allah could have made, made this wajib, right? He could have said, you have to record this in ten different places. Why? Because if you ever forget, and you're not sure, was it nine hundred, or was it a thousand, or was it two thousand? He'll say, since you didn't record it in ten different places, you have to go with 2,000 to make sure that you're on the safe side. But we find in our sharia, in Islamic law, uh, at least the mainstream view today is what? You can take the minimum. Even if you didn't record them, right, later on if you're like, okay, was it 500 or 1,000? You can take 500. But Allah could have made it wajib on me to record it in 20 different places and He says if you don't, then you have to take the maximum amount. But He didn't do that. Alright, so that's forgetfulness. What about mistake and error? Well, he could have made it wajib on us there too. Don't you dare cast a stone anywhere unless you spend 45 minutes making sure that where you're, you're going to throw that rock, there's nothing there and there's no one passing by.
Okay, that's not a good example um, from a fiqh perspective, uh, but I'm just you know giving examples here. All right, he could have made he could have made it very hard on us to not make mistakes, but he didn't. Right, we make mistakes. If you want to drink, this is a better example. Forget the throwing a rock example, brothers and sisters. There's a there's a problem with that one in my opinion. But like, let's say there's a glass of water. Okay, he could have said if there's a chance that this cup of water is not just, you're not allowed to drink it. And you have to pour the water out, wash the cup again, refill it, and then drink it. But we don't have that in our sharia. If there's a chance it's najis, it's okay, I can still drink it. If it's a, if I'm 100% sure that it's najis, then I can't drink it. Right? But he could have made it wajib on us so that we don't make that mistake. So Allah has made things so easy for us. Maybe one of the reasons is this dua in the end of Surah Al-Baqarah. And that's why we have the Holy Prophet He says in the famous hadith, it has been attributed to him to have said that بُعِثْتُ إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ عَلَى الْحَنَفِيَّةِ or عَلَى الْحَنِفِيَّةِ السَّمْحَةِ السَّهْلَةِ I was sent with the easy-going religion. Right? It's not as hard as those who were pre before us, like the Bani Israel, they had it very, very tough. So this is something to remember every time we feel like, you know, things are a little tough on us when it comes to Islam. Yeah, it might not be easy, of course. I don't say it's easy, but it could have been much, much harder as well. And that's something that we need to be grateful to Allah for. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma nawwar qulubana bil Qur'an wa zayyin akhlaqana bil Qur'an wa najjina minal nari bil Qur'an وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته